couple of weeks ago, I, I entered into a, a, something called the, 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 the male vision of the time of the month. And what I mean by that, it's the, it's the time between the 18th of February and the 25th of February, the last week before uh, the payday. And it's the, the, a new moment where, where men, women, you won't get us, but we start to get very stressed and anxious and nervous. It's things that are different. You don't know we're emotional beings. We're just trying to navigate our way when the bank account is low and uh, the fuel tank is also low. I don't know if anyone has this reality for, like me, but I, I jump in the car and I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. When that orange light clicks into gear on my car, I know to the kilometer how many kilometers I've got until I run out. I know. I know that I've got about 50, 55 Ks, boom, that's me, and then, then we're going to run out of fuel. So I'm able to work it. Fee jumps the car and says, that fuel tank is low. I'm like, it's all right. I've got this, love. I've got this. I'm good at this, and this is my zone. But you will know as that, that fuel gauge gets lower and lower, there's no, no stress like a, a low fuel tank, especially when you're late for a meeting. You get in, you start to stress, you start to get anxious. You're like, do I have time to stop? And you, you say, no, no, we don't have time, but we can navigate this. So we just, you know, the family turns on the aircon. I'm like, turn the aircon off. It's fine. We don't need the aircon right now. Dad, it's 35 degrees out there. It's fine. You'll be okay. You know, just it's like, we, there's no revving. There's, there's, there's nothing. We just, we're just trying to navigate our route. Where is the, which, which route is mostly downhill and downwind? Just put it in neutral and get our way there. And maybe I'm the only one, but I, I live like that. And then often, when you, the, it's getting really, really tight. You think this is actually, I'm actually living very dangerous on the edge. Is that you actually just pull into a petrol station. You say, just put 50 rand in. Just put 50 rand in. And the guy looks at me quizzically. He's saying, are you sure? Is that all you want to put in? I'm like, just put 50 rand in. And, and I'm looking at it, and the, the needle doesn't even move. I think it's actually gone lower in rebellion <laughs> to my cheapness. It's like, No. There's this, this fear, this anxiety that as I'm running around and trying to navigate my life on empty, there's some, a fear that no, no woman will know. This fear that we're going to run out at any moment. As I, as I navigate this reality time and time again, I never learn, never learn this reality. I, I just think that actually so many of us are living our Christian lives in a similar vein. A similar vein where we're living so close to the edge that week in and week out we are navigating our lives and trying to, we reorientating our lives around our perceived emptiness where we are, we, we're feeling on, on the brink of running out. We're feeling empty of hope, empty of joy, empty of the promises, empty of, of finances, empty of relationships, empty, empty of, of emotional quotient to give out. We're feeling like we're close to the edge and maybe people might not even know it. But I wanna tell you that actually today, I wanna speak to people who are, who are feeling empty, who are feeling on the edge and they're trying to make it through to Sunday each week. And I wanna tell you, if you're living your Christian faith like that, it is exhausting. It is tiring. Where you come on a Sunday for a little bit of a pick-me-up, it feels like a 50 rand. Is that all? Oh, I've got enough just to keep going. When actually there's so much more for us. And I want to tell you, it's exhausting. It's tiring. And I am tired. I've said it, and I'll say it again. I'm tired of seeing empty churches. I'm tired of seeing empty religion. I'm tired of seeing empty lives. I, I don't know about you, but I sense in my soul that we are on the brink of radical revival that we're on the brink of radical revival, that we are starting to see a, a flow, steady flow of week in and week out. Tonight, another baptism, another radical moment of death to life, that we are seeing new chairs. We are buying new chairs in faith because we're trusting this venue to be full, 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 but because, not because God wants to fill a building, but he wants to fill people, fill empty people with the life of God. And I see it and I believe it. I see a parking full when you drive in, not just this parking lot, but the next parking lot. And I'm going, God, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. 
And I really believe this is revival time. This is revival city. We are a revival people. This is what God is doing. And actually, when I say that often, I say that to my heart because I believe it. But so often the enemy comes to me and he says, Gabe, you're full of it. You're full of it. You're full of, what are you, who are you trying to kid? Who are you? And to try and imagine these sort of things. And it's just, it's, look at the city. Look at the state of the world. Look at the nation. Look, look at your own soul. Look at your own ability. But I want to tell you today, I am full of it. I'm full of faith. I'm full of the word. I'm full of courage. I'm full of his spirit. And I want to suggest to you today, maybe you are weary. Maybe you are exhausted and you're tired of living on empty. And maybe it feels like you're here and it feels like you're just this thing blown in the wind. And you feel like you almost are just acting a role from Oliver Twist, going, please, sir, can I have some more? In a sense, just coming to God every week. Look, it's just a little bit more, God. Just a little bit, I just, your prayer life to God, just, just a little bit of faith, just a little bit of courage to make it through, God. 50 your hand. God's saying, I've got so much more for you. That's, that there's so much more. And I wanna remind us that this is the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is the continual proclamation into every area of our lives and the world, what Christ has done. It's not just good advice. It's not just good suggestions. It's good news, a declaration of what he has accomplished. And we are flooding our hearts with this good news, flooding our empty souls, our empty homes, our empty visions of our future, flooding it with the good news of Jesus. And that good news is Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power Leading to the power is the power, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Let's pray together and then we're gonna get stuck into the word this morning. Father, I thank you. A simple but dangerous prayer for us today. Would you fill us with your word? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with your power? I declare the hungry will be satisfied. I thank you, Father, the weak shall be strengthened. The humble shall be lifted up. I declare the empty shall be filled. So God, I ask, would you fill us up to the brim? Fill us up to the brim, full, 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 full. And in your name we pray, amen. I love you to turn to your neighbor and encourage them with the most encouraging phrase I can imagine today. Why don't you tell them, you're full of it. Give it a go. We're gonna turn to scripture. John chapter three is where we're gonna be based this morning. John chapter three, verse one to 17. Why don't we dive into what God has got for us. Verse one says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Just before we read on, we just gotta pause there and say Nicodemus got it half right. He says, we know that God has sent you. Your miraculous signs are proof of this. Well done, Nicodemus, got it. But he, he almost loses Mark's negative marking when he says, God has sent you to teach us. Yeah, yeah that, that's half it, you got half right. But actually the reality and the, the evidence of the rest of this conversation and as it goes, as it takes place, we look at Jesus' life, we realize that he didn't just come to teach us. Jesus is just not another one of those moral teachers that we can just add as an addendum to our lives, just a, another version of how we can view life. No, 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 Jesus is coming to just define for us what is life. And he says, I've come not just to teach you, but actually to justify you, to declare that you're forgiven, not guilty. I've come to redeem you, to set you free, 
from being, being enslaved. I've come to bring appreciation for your sins, to declare you that I've turned the wrath of God away to pour out God's favor upon mankind. And ultimately, he said, I've also come to bring life and life to the full. I've come to regenerate you so that you're not a, just, just a new version of life, life 2.0. No, I've come to give you a brand spanking new life, life to the full, and make you fully alive. Didn't come just to teach us. Came to change the whole game. We keep reading. Verse three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's room and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This incredible text of scripture surrounding a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And when we have to parcel out this understanding of who was Nicodemus, Nicodemus is this Pharisee from the Sanhedrin, the, the spiritual and ruling elite. He's a spiritual man. He's incredibly literate uh, with scripture and understanding of it. He tithes, he teaches, he doesn't eat bacon. He's memorized and obeys the Lord to the, to the fullest extent that he knows. And yet, and yet, and yet, by this conversation, we can see that he's not satisfied. On every external metric, this man is nailing life and the religious order of the day. He's nailing it. And yet for Nicodemus, it seems as he enters this conversation, he says, I'm empty. The light is orange and I don't know what else to do. I'm coming to seek answers. I love this, but actually if you read the last verse of chapter two before chapter three begins, Jesus says this incredible line. It says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to men for he knew what was in the hearts of men. He knew what was in the hearts of men. And when we look at this, this narrative of Nicodemus, Nicodemus standing there, not just as a, somebody out there, but I think Nicodemus is a lot closer to home than we think. He's much more like you and I than we first imagined. But this incredible reality, we see three things that jump out of the text to me that Jesus knew are in the hearts of all men. You wanna know what's in your heart? Number one, darkness. Darkness. You see, the text opens up and says, Nicodemus came after dark. Other versions say late at night or in the darkness. And uh, there's something that you have to understand about John's version of the gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all telling the same event from a different angle, some with a different purpose. Matthew's trying to convince the Jews of, of, of that Jesus is the Messiah. Mark's speaking more to a Gentile audience. Luke is a doctor trying to give an orderly account. John is explicit in his reason of writing. 
He's not trying to hide his reason. At the very end, he says, I have written all these things so you may believe in Jesus. There's no other agenda. He's, he's going straight on. He's saying this is all about one thing and one thing only. It's him, Jesus. And John has written his gospel a lot later. So it's, it's actually, he's not writing a chronological order. That's why some of the, the, the versions are maybe different to Matthew, Mark, Luke's, the timing of them. You're like, why does that fit in there? But John is writing it poetically to remind us and get us to the very point of it all. We believe. I say that you say, when John writes that word after dark, the, the literal word that he should have used, if he's wanting to tell us the time of day, and I do believe it was late at night, yes, it was under the guise of darkness, Nicodemus came, but if he was just trying to tell us the state of the time, that actually it was just past nine o'clock, kids were in bed, and Nicodemus slipped in because that was the time he had available that day, he would have used the word, the Greek word niktos, meaning nighttime. But that's not the word he used. He used a strange word in this passage when he says after dark, he uses the Greek word scortias. Now, this is a crazy thing, and stick with me for a moment because this is so uh, imperative for us to get, is that word scortius is used again and again all the way through John's gospel. It appears first in John chapter one when it tells us this, this word scortius, it happens in John chapter one where he says, the light shines in the darkness, that's the word scortius, the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It happens again in John, John chapter three, and ultimately it happens again in John 20, after Jesus' death, and then on, early on the Sunday morning, it says, while it was still dark, Scotias, not just the time, they should have said, while it was still nighttime, Nyctos, doesn't use that, he says, while it was still Scotias, while it was still dark, Mary approached the tomb. What is John trying to do here? He's trying to remind us that word Scotias is different because that word, version of the word means, yes, darkness, but it also means disillusionment, despair, and spiritual oppression. So he's not just telling us that there's a, a natural reason why you cannot see. He's saying there's a spiritual reason why your sight is obscured. Why Nicodemus could only see him as teacher and not see him as the son of God, despite all the evidence, was because of Scotias. His heart was dark. He could not see. This is huge for you and I. We have to remind ourselves of this reality because we have to keep on fighting the natural inclination of the heart. I'll tell you, we are not fighting just against flesh and blood. We're fighting against powers and principalities of darkness. And the powers and principalities of darkness, their number one aim is not just to give you a hard time. It's not to make your life tough. It's to obscure your sight of Jesus. He doesn't, the enemy does not want you to see him. This, the idea of this reality is in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's like that initial time when you haven't checked the load sharing schedule and it's late tonight and you move around the house and then boom, you plunge into darkness. You start feeling around. Where's the coffee table? Ah, oh, there it is, I felt it. And you're trying to find your way to the door and you kick the pet by mistake and just a, it's just a, or maybe on purpose, I don't know, just that's between you and your pet. But you know where that moment when you, you, you're feeling around and, and the darkness is so, so thick that you can't actually see at all. It's that reality of Scorpius. It's so dark that actually you, no matter how you feel around, no matter how you stand, you're unable to see clearly. You're unable to see reality for reality's sake. This is the reality when we see this narrative. That's why Nicodemus could only see him as teacher, could not get it. That's why in John chapter 20, when he says, while it was still dark, while it was still scorchous, this disillusionment, this disappointment, the spiritual blinding of the eyes, Mary, who had spent the last three years following Jesus, knowing him, 
says she sees resurrected Jesus and it says this, she thought he was the gardener. Not because it was the light of day, but because actually her eyes had been blinded. She had not been able to fully see and understand this is who he was until the word of God came. And he said, Mary, and she, her eyes opened and said, Rabbi, it's you, the resurrected one. This is what Jesus says in the text when he's trying to address this darkness of heart, this darkness and unability to see. He says, I tell you the truth. Other texts will say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, if you wanna be more old school. Or another translation is, most assuredly, I tell you. When Jesus is saying, truly, truly, verily, verily, most assuredly, he's saying, this is of utmost importance. This is not just something to breeze over. This is something to be underlined, emboldened, italicized. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. You will not be able to see truly. You'll be like a blind person in the dark for the rest of your days. You may have all the intellect, all the education. You might think that your worldview is best. I tell you, your view counts for nothing until you see truly. He wants to give true sight. Darkness is in the heart of man. Number two, not just darkness, but also distance. Jesus says, you, you have to be born again. To which Nicodemus asks a fairly straightforward question. He says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb? Good question. I'm no biology major, but I think that's a great place to start. A good question to ask. But in this moment, he is stumped because he's, he's still seeing with physical eyes. He's saying, he, he still put, it's a physical conversation to him. And he says, how can I physically do this? And, and I don't think, he's, I don't think he'd be, he's being sarcastic. I think he's literally grappling with this thing saying, how do I overcome this distance between where I am and the emptiness of my soul? I've tried everything else and I cannot seem to get in. How do I do this? And the problem is religion leaves us at that space or leave us in every shape and form of religion and religiosity in the world will leave us at that space. How do I overcome this barrier? That's all it can do. It can leave us with a question with no solution. And I tell you, religion will keep us on the hamster wheel of trying to fill our buckets day after day, week after week, in different shapes and forms, filling our buckets, going, that's enough for this week. But I want to tell you, there's a big flaw. Your bucket has holes in it. You'll never be satisfied. It's exhausting, it's wearing, it's tiresome. You'll never be able to make it until we understand this reality because we've bought into, and even in a Christian home, Christian faith, Christian realities, we sell and peddle this gospel of moral therapeutic deism, where it's just an attachment and a, and a lens to try and view life and make sense of our lives, and we might even say the right things, but the problem is it's why bookstores, Christian bookstores, and I put them in inverted commas, sell books, dime a dozen, seven steps to your better life. And they sell like hotcakes. Because we all are coming. We need the seven steps. What are they? Try them. You'll be more exhausted than before. Step into your destiny. Live your best life now. I'm going, you're starting at the wrong place. It's all Nicodemuses trying to sell books. But there's something in our hearts of distance that we cannot bridge that gap. And I want to remind us that Nicodemus steps in the story. He says, I've obeyed all of this. I am this, this, the ruler of the Sanhedrin. But he's looking for the true Israelite because this is leaving me empty. And Jesus is in this moment in a way, shape and form, he's reminding Nicodemus, he's saying, you're looking at him. I am the only true Israel. I'm the only true Israelite. There is no ways that you'll be able to ever fulfill all of this. In a sense, this is the reality. When Matthew's writing it, he's trying to go all in on convincing the Jewish audience that it's not their rules and regulations. It's not even the, the promise to Abraham. It's actually much more. The promise was never about Abraham. It's also about one to come, Jesus. 
from your seed. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Matthew 2, Jesus, Matthew is so averse in this. In Matthew chapter two, we find Jesus' birth shrouded in controversy because Herod has given an edict, kill all the baby boys. Mass genocide. It shadows exactly what happened with Israel in Egypt when Pharaoh said, mass genocide, kill all the baby boys. The very next thing in the story in Matthew chapter three is Jesus flees down to Egypt and he comes out of Egypt and is coming out of Egypt in Matthew three. The first thing we see is he goes through the waters of baptism. Israel, coming out of Egypt, when they were set out of Egypt, the first thing they did was went through the Red Sea. In John, Matthew chapter four, we find Jesus have 40 days in the wilderness saying no, fighting temptation and defeating the enemy. In Exodus, after the Red Sea, the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness, falling apart, never defeating the enemy, always walking around in circles, never being able to process and move forward from that moment. Then Moses, in the midst of the wilderness, goes to um, the, the, the pinnacle of his life, and Exodus 20 gives the 10 commandments, gives the law. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, is Jesus climbing a different mountain, saying, I'm gonna give you the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you, you have heard it say, but I tell you a new way, a kingdom way. You see, Jesus is painting himself, saying, I am the true Israel. I'm the only one that can bridge the gap. He goes on and on. We, we remind ourselves, Jesus is the true prophet. He's the true priest. He's the true king. He's the fulfillment of it all. He is the true tabernacle. The tabernacle that was a system of distance, otherwise known as assistance, system of distance. Separating man and the people from God, Jesus comes in and he says, I am the high priest, but not only am I the high priest, I'm also the sacrifice, I'm also the light and the lampstand, I'm also the bread, the, the bread of show, table of showbread, I'm actually, I also am the ark of the covenant. He says, Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth and the life. We all know that statement, but to a Jewish's, Jewish audience's ears, that is a description of the tabernacle because there were three curtains that separated a Jewish person who was standing on the outside from the holy place. And the first curtain in the outer courts was called the way. The second curtain that separated the outer courts from the holy place was called the truth. And the last curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was called the life. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not just giving a nice bumper sticker for taxis to put on the back of their car, John 14, 6. No, he is just saying to him, there is only one way that the curtain is torn. There's only one way that you can come into the presence of God. There's only one way, Nicodemus, and it's me. Only one way, and I preach this not at a conference for people who have never heard it. I preach it for Christians because we forget and we go back to our buckets and we wonder why we're exhausted. I tell you, it's not a way, it's not my way. If it was, it would be hugely popular. But it says the way, and that is so controversial. That is so frustrating for people. I wanna remind us that every other Lord is false. I wanna encourage, I was praying, I felt to challenge people to slam the door shut. Slam the door shut on other things that you've been fiddling with. You've been trying to come up with other ways to satisfy yourself. And even I wanna be as avert to saying dabbling in witchcraft. Add this, adding, it's not, I don't really believe it, but I'm just, you know, I believe this, but I'm gonna add this in. We dabbling with, with new age practices. You dabbling with spirit mediums. You dabbling with other things. And let, let me, you know, I don't really believe, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to that guy, that, that man of God. I'm gonna send somebody just in case. Let me tell you, all it's doing is reminding our hearts that actually there's maybe another, another way. No, there's only one way. Is that explicit? Is that confronting? And needs to challenge us. Or are we gonna still be exhausted? 
and miss out on the power of God. I tell you right now that I think that also we gotta slam the door not only on these super spiritual things, we also gotta slam the door on the arrogance of our heart. Because let me tell you right now, the danger of a hard heart has killed more than any tyrant or any virus. A hard heart, an unbelieving heart. Let me tell you, I'll take a raging demon-possessed man over a hard-hearted man any day. I will, because a raging demon-possessed man, you just say in Jesus' name, out, and a demon obeys. A hard heart, you can speak a thousand sermons and they go, I will not be moved. We gotta, we gotta fight these things because this is in our hearts, darkness and distance and, we, and measurements are trying to get our way in, but we gotta say, no, 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 there's only one way. It's only one who bridges the gap. Thirdly, is death. Nicodemus, after hearing all these things, throws his hands in the air and says, how are these things possible? And I wanna tell you, it's a good question because the world is not separated into good people or bad people, but rather dead people and alive people. It's so explicit because I think we've got this moralistic continuance in front of us where it's like Adolf Hitler's there, that guy, Adolf Hitler, Mao, Alex Ferguson, just know that, it's a joke, people, it's a joke, he's a wonderful man. But Adolf Hitler's over there, and this side is Mother Teresa, and we go, you know what, I'm not great, but you know, I'm not over there, I'm over here. I'm not that bad, I'm not as bad as that guy, I'm not as bad as that dude. And it's going, no, 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 there's only dead or alive people. Going to a cemetery, there's only two, people who are dead and those who are mourning, those who are still alive. We've gotta keep reminding our hearts of this because I keep saying to myself, the only thing that I've contributed to my salvation is my sin. That's all I brought to the table. And I think that we watched on Netflix many years ago, The Walking Dead. And I don't think it's just a great hit TV show. I think it's actually an apt name for the majority of the church worldwide. People who claim to be alive but are walking around just in a, the guise of saying, just I need another step. I just need to fill myself up in some shape or form and attaching the name of Jesus as if it's an addendum but not our life, not our source of power. Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh Spirit gives birth to spirit, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. That word born again can be translated born from above. Something that's totally outside of us. Something that's not in our own initiative. There's something that's not like I found Jesus. No, he found you. This is our confidence, is this is how the Holy Spirit works. Number one, he draws us says he draws us. John Wesley spoke about the prevenient grace of God, the grace of God that was working even before I was aware of it. The Holy Spirit, the scriptures say he, his kindness leads us to repentance. Your faith journey didn't come the day you said, I believe in you, Jesus. Your faith journey, according to him, started while he was doing the work of drawing you unto himself. Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, Good, the goodness and mercy of God are the hound dogs of heaven. They will chase you down relentlessly until they pursue you and overtake you. This is the incredible reality for us is that you think you've run far, you can't outrun the spirit of God. David said this way, I, I make my bed in the heights, I make my bed in the depths, and you're there. Where can I go where you're not? So today I, I say it to you and me, we think we're here today by accident in this room. You think you're here because of an invite, because of coincidence, or maybe even some form of religious habits. I tell you, no, no, no. You are here 
under the preaching of the word of God by divine orchestration. This is, the preaching of the word is God's attempt in the spirit drawing you unto himself, drawing you away from false senses of security, false sources of power, and false sources of supply, and to remind our hearts, no, no, it's him alone, it's him alone, it's him alone. He's drawing you. Genesis 1 says it was dark, empty, and void. Dark. That word is the same Greek word. It's the root word, scortias. Dark. Not just those, no light. Dark. Spiritual oppression was dark. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep. The Holy Spirit was hovering and drawing, drawing out, waiting for the word of God to be ignited. Let there be light. And there was light. He draws us. Secondly, he illuminates us. He draws us. That's how he overcomes the distance. He draws us unto himself. Secondly, he illuminates us. That's how he overcomes the darkness. He brings light and clarity to our darkness. It's when you're saying, sitting at home, late at night, 10 o'clock comes and load shedding stage six was from eight till 10. And then suddenly, boom, the lights come on. But you, you forgot, you've gone to sleep. You forgot to turn off all the devices. And all of a sudden, the TV's blasting. The lights are on, the fans are going. Just it's, the dogs are yelping. It's like exciting, it's happening. But that's what happens when suddenly people who've walked in darkness now have seen a great light. I see him. I see him. Scales fall from our eyes. It's a narrative I, I heard a while ago, a preacher called Paul Washer, and he was telling this narrative of after a sermon, he preached, and a guy came up to him and said, listen, I, I need prayer. Paul said, cool. He said, what do you need prayer for? He said, well, I've got a terminal disease, and I've actually only got a few more weeks to live. I'm on my last legs. And Paul said, well, I want to pray for healing. And the guy said, no, no, I don't, I don't want to pray for that right now. You can add that. But he says, I, as you're preaching, I got confronted with the fact that I don't know if I believe what I've believed. I don't know if I've gone all in on Jesus. And in the reality, the deep recess of my soul, I can give you the chapter and verses, but in the depths, I don't know what's going to happen once eternity comes calling my name. Paul said, that's more important. Let's, let's sit. And he said, the guy said, well, I've got a few minutes. Paul said, no, no, no. We're not leaving here until you get this. So he started reading the book of John and the guy's read it and he starts reading, he's reading out loud. He goes, yeah, it's very cool. The Lamb of God goes, cool. John chapter two starts reading, John chapter three. And, then, and Paul was saying, I'm going to read until he gets it. Because Paul says, I can't convince you. I, you've heard it all. I can't say the right things that will get you to come alive. But he says, as they got to John chapter three and started to read the text, this guy, suddenly he let, up, let out a yelp. A man with three weeks to live, let up a yelp as tears start to flood down his face. And he said, I get it. I get it, I can see and no man, no teacher, no human authority can get you to see. It's the Spirit of God who draws men to himself. It's the Spirit of God who awakens and puts, gives sight to the eyes. And thirdly, he awakens us. The Spirit of God is not here. Just to, it's not church. It's not here just to be some assuaging of guilt for the next week. Some form of penance. You're, you're doing okay. Come on. You can do it. Go for it. And handing you another bucket at the door saying good luck on the way out for your marriage, good luck for your kids, good luck for your finances, good luck for your spirituality, and be like, I hope I can get enough in this water for this week, because it's gonna be one heck of a week, running on orange. No, no, he awakens us. The scripture says, Jesus says, no man can be born again unless he's born of water and of spirit. And what, I, what I think that means is this understanding that this reality that to be born again is that we have to be purified, made clean, but we also have to be quickened and made alive. The understanding is we are sold not a gospel of just Friday, meaning Jesus died to forgive our sins, yes, but we also sold the gospel of a Sunday where he rose again so that we could be made alive in him. 
It's not just now a glorified version of penance. You are forgiven, be good for another week. No, he's saying you're forgiven so you can be walking free and alive. This is the reality is Jesus stepping into the graveyard of our souls and saying, Lazarus, come forth, come alive. Is that dramatic? I tell you, when God gripped my heart for what I believe is the call of my life was a moment where I heard a narrative of a man who had lost his spouse on their honeymoon. They'd got married, they had all the hopes and dreams, and then she died. Devastating, devastating. And then the funeral came, and the, she was, because that was the most glorious sight he'd ever seen was his wife, wife in, in white. They put her in an open coffin, dressed in a wedding dress. And the scenes got even more and more tense and emotional as this man, in the moment of his grief, the highest moment of his grief, climbed inside the coffin and held onto her body, weeping and begging her to come back, begging her to come back alive. And everyone freaked out and worrying about this moment. And as I heard this graphic story, I felt the, the deep voice of God speak to me, that is what I've called you to do, Gabe. I want you to step into the coffins of my bride, the place where people have allowed the enemy to get so in their hearts that they're not fully alive in me. They're, they're, they're walking around as if they're alive, but they're actually dead. Will you step into the, the grave sites and would you call my bride awake? Would you call her alive? That might seem graphic. And as I hear that, I tell you what happens in my heart. As I speak that even, I hear the voice of the enemy going, Gabe, who are you? You're full of it. You're full of it. You are just as empty as them. You're just as, as broken as these people. And I, and I go, I, I could agree with them, but let me tell you, I wanna remind us as we land today, I hear the overriding voice of the Father declare, yes, you are full of it. It's full of something else. And I wanna teach us very quickly as we land. Three things. Number one, we are full of his favor. Full of his favor. This is the reality. It tells us the Father, we tell in scripture, we found out they say that Jesus drank the cup of the Father's wrath to its dregs, meaning to its empty state. There was no more wrath left for humanity. The wrath of God was poured out fully, 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 fully. Can you say the word fully? Fully onto Jesus. The wrath was poured out fully into Jesus. And this is an incredible reality that because of that, it was a great exchange this moment that we've been then filled as the wrath has been moved away, we have now been filled eternally with the fullness of God's favor. He's not just tolerating you. He's not just a, ah, oh, let's see if I can do this. No, being born again means that you've been moved out of the courtroom, you've been declared not guilty, but now you've been seated in the lounge. Here's your father. There's a new birth that's taken place the old hymn says, my sin was nailed to the cross, not in part, but the whole. We have to get that because religion will leave us going, my sin was nailed to the cross, but it sometimes gets up and I feel so bad about it, then I have to grovel for two weeks and I'm like, God, please, can you forgive me? I'm so, so sorry. God, please, I need a little bit more of your favor. I know I'm so disappointing. I'm useless. I'm full of it. I know I sing those songs, but you know what I do at home? God, please, can I have a little bit more of a, a little bit ounce? No, your sin was nailed to the cross, not in part, but the whole. The word tetelestai, where Jesus cried from the cross, he says this word means paid in full, to the brim, to the uttermost. This is the reality. Yes, you're full of his favor. Secondly, you're full of his nature. 
This is the good news of the gospel, is that you're not just left aimless, wandering around, digging deep and coming up empty again and again. The scripture says in Philippians 2, verse 67, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Ugh, no, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself, kenosis. He poured himself out by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Colossians 2.19 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. So what happened was Christ, in the great exchange, emptied himself and poured himself out into humanity, taking upon himself our sin so we could be, have the fullness of his nature. The scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17, says it this way. The old has gone, the new has come, Behold, you are new creations. Now, that's huge. We, we, for time's sake, let me tell you that word new, again, could be translated, if you're just wanting new, could be translated neos, meaning upgrade. Slightly better version. You know an upgrade? Hyundai i20 or Hyundai i30. The new improved. iPhone 11, iPhone 12. And we, we oh, slightly better. I, I was terrible, now I'm just slightly, I'm a little bit better and I'm, I'm trying to get better. No, just, you know, me, woe is me. I'm just trying to get better. No, no, the scripture says, no, that's not the word that was used. The word new was not used in terms of upgrade. The word new was used in the brand spanking never seen before new. Yeah. Out the box, we've never seen this. Like, this is graveyard language. The old has gone, the new has come. Behold, a new creation. Scripture says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. John 1.13 says, we're not born of a father's will, or a husband's decision, a human decision, but born of God. I tell you today as strongly as I can, if you were born out of wedlock, you were told you were a mistake, you were born of rape, you were born of, of brokenness, you're born in a family of unwanted, unloved, I wanna tell you this is your strength, that you've been, you've been full to the brim with his nature. He has bypassed, he says, not of human decision or a father's will. He said, but born of God, he has bypassed your biological process. He has bypassed the biological flaws in your life. He is like a, a solar system plugged in that bypasses the grid of this age. The lights may go dark, but the house stays alive. He's bypassed that. He's rewiring us to remind us in this reality that we are full with his nature. Thirdly and finally, you're full of favor, full of his nature. Thirdly, you're full of his spirit. The scripture says that he poured out his spirit. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Poured out, poured out, pour my spirit out. And this is the reality. He's poured out his very spirit, the very spirit of God upon us. Not a theological construct, not something that's leaking out of you. No, when you are born, you cannot, born again, you cannot be born again unless it's from the work of the spirit. And the spirit is a person. He's not given in measurements or increments. He's given in wholeness. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Ephesians says that the Spirit of God was given to us as a down payment, a deposit, guaranteeing us of our future inheritance. He's given it to us. We're full of the Spirit. And what I love about this as well, in Ephesians says that the Holy Spirit sealed us for the day of redemption. In our state of fullness, full of His nature, full of God's favor, full of His Spirit, we've been sealed not leaking out, not emptying, making orange. Oh, do I make enough? No, no, he says, I have filled you to the brim. You are full of it. This is what it means to be born again. Born not of human hands. Not born of our own intellect. 
not living a Christian life with our own strength and power, where we are making it from a different source of power, a place of stability. Colossians 1.27 says this, and then I'll land. It says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, his full favor, his nature, his spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that word glory is the word kavod. Kavod. And it's not some ethereal, spiritual word. It's a very earthly word. Glory means weightiness, substance, strength, fullness. Christ in you, the hope of fullness. Christ in you, the hope of weightiness. And this is the great reality is when the empty bank comes, the empty bank account, the empty emotions, the empty hope, the empty future, and the enemy accuses you and tempts you and says, you're full of it. You still sang those songs, but I know what you do on Mondays. I know your emotional outrage. I know the bankruptness of your soul. You're empty. You wanna say, yeah, you say I'm full of it. I wanna tell you I am full of it. I'm full of it. I'm full of the power, I'm full of the word, I'm full of the spirit of God, I'm full of his nature. And here's a great reality as I change hands because that is really heavy. <laughs> when you're in this state and we're walking around, God, we need a little bit more. The wind blows and we go with the wind. The enemy comes and we go this way, I am unrighteous, I am broken, I am flawed, I make it to Sunday, please fill me up. But when we know we are full of His nature, full of His favor, full of His spirit, the enemy may accuse you. Your situation might not have changed. You might have emptiness all around you, but inside of you there's fullness. You cannot be moved. I cannot be swayed. It's not an external work by the hands of man. It's not someone saying, here's seven steps to a happier tomorrow. No, no, no. This is the reality of eternity being set in our hearts. And we become the most unshakable people on the face of the planet because we are full of it. Can we stand to our feet, please? tell you today, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. He loved the world, it's cosmic. This is not just some personal religion, this is something big, He's doing something so big, and yet the world also includes you, it's cosmic and personal. This is the beauty of the gospel, He loved you, He loved me, and He died to bring us to Himself. He wants us. He wants us to come in our empty state. He says, come to me. As Augustine said, I said, I've read Cicero and I've read Plato. I've read all the great orators of our day, but no one and nowhere have I found the words so beautiful as all who are weary and heavily burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's only Jesus who says this to us. I tell you today, this is my prayer. Don't be caught up as Colossians 2, 8 says. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and empty high sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world. Rather, come to Christ. Not just for the first time, but every day. This gospel is not just the entry point, it is the finish point. This is how I find my substance tomorrow. This is the good news of Christ. It is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. And it's not about you and I, it's about Him. The book of John has always been about Him. Always, overtly, it's about him and we need to know it and we need to see it. John chapter one, he tells us he's the son of man. John chapter two, he's the miracle worker. He turns water into wine, emptiness into beautiful things. John chapter three, he's the great teacher who points us to the way of salvation. John chapter four, he comes and he's the evangelist who leads the woman from a well, a place of emptiness to a place of fullness. 
John chapter five, he's the healer who steps into an empty place and says, I'm gonna bring healing at the well. John chapter six, he says, I'm the bread of life. You'll never go hungry again. John chapter seven is this incredible moment where he says, I am the water of living water, the river of living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst. John chapter eight, he steps into the most empty, depraved situation and says to a woman caught in adultery, I, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more, I set you free. John chapter nine, he says, I'm the light of the world. John chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection of the life. John chapter 12, he is the returning and risen king who comes riding to you and I into our brokenness, riding on a donkey. John chapter 13, he's the, he's the one who serves us and washes our feet. John chapter 14, he's the God of compassion. And yet in compassion, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, the Father, except through me. John 15, he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. You can have no life apart from me. John chapter 16 is this incredible reality where he comes and he reminds the people of who he is in this, re, in this, in this moment and he gives the Holy Spirit. He pours out the Spirit, not part but in whole. John 17, he's the high priest who ever lives to pray for us in our weakness. John chapter 18, he's the model sufferer. On John chapter 19, he's the, the crucified Savior. John 20, he's the resurrected King. And John chapter 21, he finishes coming and stepping to the emptiness of Peter, who Peter is betrayed and saying, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left, he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He's the restorer of the empty and fills them with purpose. Can we lift our hands? Lift our hands to him tonight. Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your gospel that reminds us though emptiness may be knocking. No, our emptiness of soul, emptiness of relationship, emptiness of hope, emptiness of joy, emptiness of, of future, whatever the religion has sold us, we refuse, we put down the bucket and we say we're coming to pick up our fullness. I declare over you, sir, ma'am, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, you are full of it. Full of the forgiveness of our Father. Full of His Spirit and His power full of favor, full of faith, full of His Word. You're full of hope, love, joy, peace, righteousness. You're full of it. And I thank you right now, Father God, when the winds of this world come and the accuser tempts us to despair, I look to you. We look to you. We look away from ourselves and we see you who stands in our stead. So I thank you, God. Fill us afresh with your power. Fill us afresh that we would know, that we know, that we know that it's the gospel, that's the good news for salvation for everyone who believes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.